0: Following is a presentation of artisan church in Rochester, New York. In our third week now of this series in Philippians, and uh, I'm really thrilled to have Colleen Schneider um, call, come on up, Colleen, uh, deliver today's message. Uh, This may be the first that you've heard of it, but many of you are familiar now with this concept called the College of Preachers. We are taking a collegial approach to preaching uh, to a certain extent over this ministry year and uh, identifying people who have gifts of uh, proclamation and who have um, a gifted insight into the Scriptures and a willingness to share and helping them develop that gift. So we've heard from Wade Reed and from Chris Sullivan, and today we get to hear from Colleen Schneider. And uh, Colleen and I have been talking um, throughout the past few weeks, and I am really excited for what she has to bring with us, uh, bring to us this morning from the scriptures. So thank you for being here, Colleen, and uh,
1: God bless you. Thank you. Okay, can you guys hear me okay? Okay, good. Step one, technology works. (laughs) Okay, so like Pastor Scott said, I'm Colleen. Um, Unlike Wade and Chris, I have never been to seminary, so I don't have that training. And actually, quite the opposite. I'm in my second year of medical school in an eight-year MD-PhD program. Um, So I'll admit that I tend to approach the scriptures like a scientist, um, observing what's there, gathering data, testing hypotheses, constructing conclusions. Uh, But I tried to tone this down a little bit for today for you humanities folks who might not appreciate that. Anyways, like I said, I don't have theological training, but I believe that God um, is able to speak to each of us and to speak through each of us, and I'm excited to share with you today and to be a part of the College of Preachers. Um, I was excited to be a part of the College of Preachers because uh, since seventh grade, really, I felt a call to missions. And as I uh, eventually finish my medical training, I'm planning on being a medical missionary, so it was a really um, neat opportunity to be able to develop some preaching skills through this program. Um, so this is call to missions this is actually something that God has been shaping over the years in my life. And each, tep- each step I take on this journey, um, he reminds me of his continual presence in that process, uh, specifically through Psalm 139. And this is what we read this morning during the call to worship. Psalm 139 concludes with David asking God, To know his anxious thoughts. And in today's sermon, we're going to talk about how God grants us peace when we present our uncertainties to him. So, one thing I know for certain all of us deal with uncertainties in life. There's uncertainties that eventually resolve with time, such as where should I go to school? What job should I pursue? Will I have enough money to make it through the month? Who will I marry? Is this lump cancer? What is the gender of our unborn child? Will my children be safe? And the list goes on. You could probably come up with many of your own in your own life. And then there are uncertainties in life that may never be answered this side of heaven. If I had only done blank, would my life have been better? What is the purpose of this difficult time in my life? Did I make the right decision? And the most important one of all, what is the best way to eat a Reese's peanut butter cup? So while I was preparing for the sermon, I started reflecting on the uncertainties that I've had in my own life. And while I've had a lot, I thought of one particular example uh, back in April of 2013 that I want to share a little bit about with you now. So at that time, uh, I had finished applying to medical schools. I um, had the blessing of being accepted to a couple of different schools. Um, But being the very indecisive person that I am, I had a very difficult time trying to decide where to go. And so I made a list of pros and cons for each school. And even then, it was still all up in the air. And I just wanted certainty and clarity. So Rochester was one of the schools that I was accepted to. And in order to gain a little bit more hopeful clarity in that process, I came back to Rochester in April of 2013 for a second look at the school to meet professors and peers and see if this is really where I wanted to be. And over the course of that two-day visit, Things went really well, and I actually was even more confused because I personally didn't want to be in Rochester, but it seemed like everything was pointing in that direction. And so in this uncomfortable position with all of these uncertainties, after the two-day visit, I was in my hotel room here, and I started praying to God and telling him about all of the things that I was uncertain about. And I did something more. I asked him for a sign, which is not something I suggest you follow my example doing. But anyway, I asked God for a sign, and I said, God, if the U of R is where you want me to go to school, then when I visit a church tomorrow in Rochester, which just happened to be artisan, please have somebody read Psalm 139 at the service. If that happens, then I will know that you want me to attend school at the U of R. And guess what? Nobody read Psalm 139. (laughs) But as you can probably guess, I did end up coming to the U of R, and my decision to come to Rochester had to be based on faith rather than certainty. So our text for today gives us a little bit more insight on what it looks like to dwell in uncertainty and come out feeling at peace. So if you can turn in your Bibles to Philippians 4, chapters 1 through 9, you can find it on page 955 in the Red Bibles, and I'm actually going to be reading from the NIV translation again. So, the words might be a little bit different from what I'm reading, but you can follow along or just listen. Paul says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Yodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, Help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God And the God of peace will be with you. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for the words of your scripture. I pray that you would be speaking your words through my sermon today, and that you would open the hearts and minds of those that you have words uh, to hear. In your name I pray, amen. So to begin, I want to remind us of a little bit of the context of um, Philippians and why this uh, letter was written. So Paul is the author of Philippians, and he's writing this letter to the church in Philippi while he's in prison. And as Chris mentioned in his sermon a couple of weeks ago, Paul is really experiencing a time of great uncertainty in his own life. He says, will I live or will I die? And I feel like that's probably the ultimate uncertainty that you could be dealing with. At the same time, he's writing to a budding church in Philippi, And as the Philippians are trying to understand and discover what it looks like to live in Christian community, they're dealing with their own kinds of uncertainty. So this passage um, in chapter 4 comes right after Paul describes the lifestyle of people who have their minds set on earthly things. And in chapter 4, Paul transitions to talk about how the Philippians should respond to uncertainty in a way that reflects their citizenship as Christians. He starts off saying, "'Therefore,' Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And this call to stand firm echoes what he says back in chapter 1, verse 27, where he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. So Chris mentioned in his sermon a couple weeks ago as well that uh, Philippi was established as Roman city for uh, Roman soldiers to live in once they retired. As such, the Philippians would have understood this call to stand firm as one that implies community, because it's much easier to stand firm when you have an army of other people backing you up. So Paul and the Philippians have many reasons to be uncertain about the future. But instead here, Paul dwells on his conviction that God is in control, and he draws strength from being united with other believers. It's in this context that Paul is able to go from a place of uncertainty about his future to a place where he can say, whatever happens, stand firm in the Lord in this way. So let's now delve into three of the ways that Paul specifically handles uncertainty here. In verses 4 through 6, Paul says, 1 rejoice in the Lord always. Two, let your gentleness be evident to all. And three, present your request to God with thanksgiving. In order to understand how to go from uncertainty to gentleness, thanksgiving, and rejoicing, we have to also understand what gets in the way of these things, namely fundamentalism, scarcity, and anxiety. So let's first look at gentleness. The idea that Paul's getting at here, with the word gentleness, or as in some translations, reasonableness, is one of fairness. This is a kind of response to uncertainty that relies on logic, careful consideration of many perspectives, and the humility to be able to say, I may not be right. Gentleness is a mindset that allows people with conflicting views to come to a compromise. When Paul pleads for Yodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord, he's calling them to gentleness. So gentleness is a response to uncertainty that first requires us to acknowledge our uncertainties. But this isn't the way we often respond to uncertainty. When we're too proud, stubborn, or unaware to take the time to acknowledge that not everything is, or that some things are impossible to know, we inhabit a mindset of fundamentalism. So this isn't fundamentalism with a capital F. Instead, lowercase f, fundamentalism, refers to when we convince ourselves that we live in a black and white world, when so much gray is really there. This fundamentalism is a delusional kind of certainty. I like the following quote from the Franciscan friar Richard Rohr regarding our tendency towards fundamentalist ideals. He says, My scientist friends have come up with things like principles of uncertainty and dark holes. They're willing to live inside imagined hypotheses and theories. But many religious folks insist on answers that are always true. We love closure, resolution, and clarity, while thinking that we are people of faith. How strange that the very word faith has come to mean its exact opposite. When we operate from a fundamentalist mindset, we bulldoze over the ideas of others and force people to follow our rules without compromise. This is not the way to live in a manner worthy of the gospel, because it doesn't make room for the mysteries of God. So when faced with uncertainty, Paul is calling the Philippians to acknowledge that uncertainty and respond to members of their community with gentleness because they understand the nuances of a situation and recognize that their confidence comes from Christ, not themselves. This brings us to a second transformation. From a mindset of scarcity to one of thanksgiving. If a fundamentalist mindset is the default mode of operation, when we fail to recognize that uncertainty does exist. A mindset of scarcity is our default when we recognize the uncertainty, but take matters into our own hands to deal with it. By doing so, we quickly come to the realization that we don't have enough control, power, or resources in ourselves to deal with the uncertainty. And this leads to this mindset of scarcity. Listen to this revealing description of what it looks like when we operate from a mindset of scarcity from a quote by the global social justice activist Lynn Twist in her book, The Soul of Money. She says, For me and for many of us, our first waking thought of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. We spend most of the hours and the days of our lives hearing, explaining, complaining, or worrying about what we don't have enough of. We don't have enough exercise, work, profits, power, wilderness, weekends, money. We're not thin enough, smart enough, pretty enough, fit enough, educated enough, rich enough. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate, already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds race with a litany of what we didn't get or didn't get done that day. We go to sleep burdened by those thoughts and wake up to the reverie of lack. What begins as a simple expression of the hurried life, or even the challenged life, grows into the great justification of the unfulfilled life. So how do we address this scarcity? Well, as Christians, we recognize the sufficiency that comes only from Christ. Paul, in another letter to the Corinthians, talks about this sufficiency. And in this passage in 2 Corinthians twelve eight through 10, he's talking about how he pleaded with God to take one of the difficult challenges in his life away from him and refers to this difficulty as the thorn in his flesh. Paul says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this thorn away from me. But the Lord said to me, My grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Again, in Philippians, Paul recognizes the abundance that comes from God as one of the main reasons that he's actually even writing this letter, is to thank the Philippians for the ways that they've provided for his needs as he's been in prison. And in uh, the passage that just follows what we read for today's sermon, he touches on that sufficiency that comes from Christ, saying, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need of it, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Just like for Paul, when God transforms our mindset of scarcity to one of sufficiency, our response can only be one of thanksgiving. And this Fundamentally changes the way that we pray. Paul says, Present your request to God with thanksgiving. And if we pray like this, with thanksgiving, we're no longer providing God with a list of things that we need Him to do, but trusting that He knows our needs better than we do. Furthermore, this transformed mindset opens our eyes to the unfolding of God's provision in our life in ways we would have missed if we were just dwelling on what we needed. Finally, let's look at how God transforms anxiety to joy. We've already looked at how failing to recognize uncertainty leads to fundamentalism, and how trying to fix that uncertainty ourselves leads to a mindset of scarcity. Prolonged anxiety, however, is a result of uncertainty that we recognize but fail to respond to. Anxiety is uncertainty that festers, and it pulls us away from community. Paul calls the Philippians to not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition to present their request to God. I want to point out that this doesn't mean that we should never feel anxious. The important thing here that Paul stresses, though, is that we have to do something about that anxiety. Paul is saying that it is the way in which the Philippians respond to anxiety that allows them to stand firm. And the response that he's calling them to is one of joy. Despite the circumstances that Paul is in when he's writing this letter to the Philippians, he uses the word joy or rejoice 15 times in this letter. Specifically in chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Joy is a transformation of the heart that must be practiced because it's a response that exists outside of our circumstances. Paul is saying whether suffering or celebrating, we're called to live lives of joy. The Greek word for joy shares the same root as the Greek word for grace. And in talking about joy here, Paul is pointing to the cross and the gift of salvation that God freely gives those who receive it. Paul's joy and the Philippians' joy comes from their participation in the unfolding of God's story in their lives. This joy comes from seeing God working in our lives and in the lives of those in our community. When God takes our uncertainty and transforms our fundamentalism to gentleness, our mindset of scarcity to thanksgiving, and our hearts weighed down by anxiety to one overflowing with joy, he brings us peace. Paul talks about this God-given peace as something that surpasses all understanding. And he says that this peace will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Now, as Roman vets, the Philippians would have identified with Paul's use of the word guard. For the Philippians, the word guard would have conjured up images of brutally shutting enemies out. But here, Paul is talking about a peaceful guard that is Jesus Christ, who operates from within. When we experience the peace that comes from these transformations— we are witnessing the unfolding of God's story in our own life. As for the story I shared with you a little bit earlier, God brought me peace about the decision to attend the U of R as I settled into Rochester and began to call Artisan my church home. In fact, it was a year ago today that after attending a couple of churches in Rochester and giving a feel for the different churches out there, I decided to call Artisan my church home. As I was eating breakfast that Sunday morning, I felt this overwhelming sense of peace about being in Rochester, and about calling artists in my church home. And when I got to church that day, Pastor Scott opened the service saying, today's call to worship comes from Psalm 139, 7 through 18. God has his own way of answering prayers, and he gave me that Psalm 139 moment. But as a way to confirm the decisions that I had already made, and the steps of faith that I had taken In that moment, I felt like God was saying, see, you just had to trust me and take a step of faith. I'm right here, and this is where you're supposed to be. Well, the joy that I felt that day as I soaked in the surroundings of my new community, all of you. I share this story with you today as my faith community with the hopes that it might encourage you to accept your part in God's unfolding story. Whether this be the first time or the thousandth time that you come to God with your uncertainties, Know that he is a God of transformation, and he blesses us in ways that we could never imagine. So as we move into a time of response, I want to emphasize that the underpinnings of all of these transformations is Christian community. This is something that Paul emphasizes throughout all of his writings, calling for unity in the body of believers. At Artisan, we strive to be the same kind of supportive faith community for each other, And we have a lot of different ways of expressing that community with each other. I want to remind you of a couple of those if you're feeling like you haven't really gotten to take advantage of the community that does exist here. So if you're feeling like you have uncertainties that you're dealing with in your life right now that feel overwhelming, know that as you pray for them in your own life, there are people here that also want to pray with you. There's prayer available during communion time today over in the corner. Or if you fill out your prayer request on an info card, people will be praying for you throughout the week. Or just tell somebody about it, and I'm sure they'll pray for you too. There's times for fellowship before and after service every week. If you get here early, you can have fellowship. And if you stay afterwards, you can also get to know all of the wonderful lives in this community. There's other gatherings that happen in our church community throughout the week. Um, you can get involved with small group. You can, um, if you're a woman, participate in Babes and Brews, yeah, (laughs) or whatever else we're calling it now. Um, I hear there's beer brewing that happens sometimes. Um, Or, you know, this would be a great uh, afternoon to go out for a spontaneous brunch with somebody that you just got to know. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you to reach out to others and um, experience that community that Paul talks about. So now let's respond in a way that Jesus modeled by establishing the observance of communion, which is, in essence, a way that we come together uh, as a community to express the unity that we have in the body of Christ. And this communion table is, a, uh, is where we share the gift of God's salvation together. You don't have to be a member of Artisan or regular attender to participate. You just have to believe that God is working in your life And before you come forward, I encourage you to reflect again on your current uncertainties. Maybe praying uh, the end of Psalm 139, saying, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Then as you approach the communion table today, um, I encourage you to pray this prayer, which will come on the screen behind me. God, I'm feeling anxious or uncertain about blank. I submit this to you because I can't handle this on my own. Thank you for being enough for me. Finally, receive this benediction. May the, God of pe- the, may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.
0: For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.